0: Hi friend, it's Brittany Moses and Renella Kalagithi, and you're listening to Speaking Our Minds, the podcast that brings you honest and nuanced conversations around mental health, holistic wellness, and the real complexities of what it means to be human in the challenges of today's world, where we have fun, fascinating, and meaningful discussions around how to live a more insightful, connected, and whole life from the inside out joined by guest professionals, thought leaders, and some of my friends and those with lived experience. As always, we ask that you keep in mind that the views and opinions shared here are respectively held by each individual and is not a substitute for professional care or an alternative to seeking personal help from your clinician or provider and is ours to discern. We're so glad you're here. Follow the conversation on Instagram at Speaking Our Minds Pod and sit with us because we're diving in. This podcast episode is brought to you by We Share by UHSM, a unique healthcare membership on a mission to create holistic wellness for the mind, body, and spirit. I'm honored to partner with UHSM and its community of faithful members. Together, we plan to create more awareness and programs around mental health and the role it plays in our overall balanced health. If you or someone you know is frustrated with their current health care, I encourage you to inquire about membership options at www.weshare.org or call 1-800-900-8476. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Speaking Our Minds podcast. This is Brittany. And this is Vanilla. And we are so glad you decided to spend your time here with us today. This month, we've been talking all about love and relationships. In the month of February, we've talked about kind of self-love and building a secure sense of self, as well as friendship relationships. And last week, we talked talked about red flags and green flags and dating relationships. So really just a wealth of conversation that's taken place. And this week, we want to talk about attachment styles and diving deeper into the idea of attachment styles, uh, because it really does affect how we go into all of our relationships and how those affect our overall
1: well-being. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of us don't grow up with this type of jargon or these ideas about relationships we are mainly taught uh, by media and what we see in our childhood and whatever societal expectations and i think at this point in life you get into your 20s mid 20s 30s 40s and you start really figuring out what actually works for you and one of these huge principles that i'm really glad in the last Decade, couple decades are going around more is the conversation around attachment styles because that is, uh, it, it helps unlock a whole identity and a whole understanding of how we love and how we relate to one another and why we do the things we do in the inside of our relationship so hopefully this is really helpful you might have heard of attachment styles before but we're going to try to dive a little bit deeper underneath the surface and make it practical to your life.
0: Yeah, what I love about things like attachment theory and other theories is that it really helps provide a language to our experiences. And that's what something like attachment theory does. It helps us identify patterns that are coming up in our own lives and in our relationships, or that we might realize reoccurs every time that we get into a relationship, so that we can become more self aware and say, Oh my gosh, this is what I tend to do in relationships, or these are the types of people that I tend to attract, and they always either end badly or they never work out. And I, why doesn't anything ever work out for me, you know? And with something like these various attachments, we can kind of begin to see a pattern. And then from, from there back, work backwards to see, okay, where are these patterns coming from so that we can develop a more secure and regulated way of being in healthier relationships. So that's what I really appreciate about um, these types of theories. And so that being said, renella do you want to kind of jump us off of like, what is attachment theory and where does it even come from?
1: Yeah. So attachment theory comes from the idea that when we are children, when we are young and impressionable and before we're even truly conscious of ourselves and our surroundings, we're already developing an attachment to our caregivers and an an attachment to ourselves. And actually, as children, research has shown that they don't actually know at a certain time frame of life the difference between them and their caregiver. And so there's a lot of um, their identity kind of wrapped up in whoever is caring for them as a child. And so there are several different studies that were done on how, how children relate to caregivers, depending on, you know, they did this study where... Um, a parent would leave the room and the child that was, you know, maybe one year old or less was still inside the room. And when they came back, how did the child respond to the parent leaving them? And that shared with them a lot about kind of what type of attachment they had. If the child was kind of ambivalent and didn't really notice, maybe they looked up at their caregiver when they came back into the room, but like didn't make a fuss or weren't, weren't sad. Then and they tended to be a little bit more of the avoidant. Um, they had already learned at that point subconsciously that their caregiver was not going to be there for them for whatever reason, and um, became used to it. Um, so there was a little bit of that detachment. Whereas there were other children, other um, you know babies where when the parent would come back into the room, they would make a huge fuss about it, and maybe they would even you know. Go towards the caregiver the caregiver you know whether it was a parent or someone that was their guardian would carry them and they would even push them away they were almost um rebelling against their caregiver and and angry and frustrated and um that was more of of the anxious attachment you know a, a little bit more of the like i'm i'm mad at you i want you but i'm also mad at you that you left me and mm-hmm. you know that i can't i can't trust you uh, whereas there were other children who when when the parent came back into the room they would you know they would notice them they would need them they would hug them and then they would go back to playing so there was just that feeling of like i'm i'm glad you're here i need you but i also feel safe enough to go and explore my external environment on my own and those were a little bit more of the secure children they knew that their parents were there for them. And um you know, that's just one of many different types of experiments that they did where they started noticing that as these children developed and grew into adults, those same types of tendencies would um you know, would start showing up in their adult relationships. And so if they had a relationship with their caregiver where they did not feel safe
0: mm-hmm. to
1: either express the full range of their emotions when they were young, or they didn't feel that there was a consistency of care and emotional attention then um, they would grow into adults who when they related with you know the people in their environment um, they would come either with a suspicion or with a sense of security so that's where you have insecure attachments and secure attachments and as we jump into more of the details and more of the examples you you you'll probably start relating with uh one or more different types of attachment styles.
0: Yes, so well. So well summarized. Yeah, it, it really kind of boils down to this caregiver responsiveness and how responsive our caregivers were to our mental, emotional, physical needs and how we adapted based on that. And it really becomes the basis of a working model for our relationships and the way that we perceive relationships going forward. I remember being in a psychology class, a relationship psychology class at UCLA and um, the professor saying something along the lines of like, within the first two years, we learn whether the world is safe or not. And I think that's just wild, mm-hmm. you know, that as early as two years old, you are developing your mental framework about how safe you are or not in your environment. And that can really um, that can really develop uh, how you approach the world and how you approach relationships going forward, which as you're saying all of this, I'm just thinking like about childhood trauma and about how big of an effect that can have on um, further relationships, because our parents are our first working model of a relationship or our caregivers. Mm-hmm. And so they are f- our first example about how to be in the world with people. And so if that has been like fractured or damaged or there's been abandonment or there's been neglect or or anything of that sort, um, it makes complete sense that that would then carry over into how we feel about
1: ourselves and others going into relationships exactly and it is a very nuanced topic because again whenever we're approaching healing and um you know being able to redefine who we are and and i always just want to emphasize the fact that our parents uh, and or our, and or our guardians gave us what they could and what they had the capacity for A lot of times when parents are in survival mode, they cannot fully be there emotionally for for their children. They don't have the capacity to. They can barely be there emotionally for themselves, let alone the people around them. And so it is very difficult when we're looking at these things and talking so much about caregivers and parents. And it's very easy, I think, to become mad and bitter, which I think are all part of the grieving process. But the grieving process is meant to lead you to a point of acceptance that this is how something was it just was you know whether it was meant to whether we were it it had to happen you know like it just was and now we take that information we take all that data from our past we take all the understanding and we say what can we do moving forward so that's kind of where hopefully we'll end up by the end of this episode is where you'll be able to say like, okay, this is what I can do moving forward. Um, But I always like to just kind of emphasize that because this is not a, again, a place where we're getting mad or bitter or hating on our parents, um, but we're recognizing their limitations and trying to expand a little bit more of our capacity moving forward.
0: I'm so glad that you said that because this theory can feel like the parent bashing theory. (laughs) And, and, you know, it's, we have imperfect parents, me being a mom now, like, especially, going into life as you know a single mom who was working and in school you're right sometimes you have limited capacities and you're doing the best that you can and i believe mm-hmm. for many of us our parents were doing the best that they can and like you said they even grew up with their yeah. own traumas and experiences that they're carrying into their life and adulthood and have you so there is a lot of nuance there is a lot of compassion and understanding but like you said while also just taking this information to learn more about ourselves and how to move forward so that we can either break that cycle and like create a new way of being in our relationship and in our own children's lives going forward um, or just to, to heal. So um, when thinking about attachment styles, it really does kind of go on the spectrum of two ways. I mean, there's, there's many different ones, but the basis are anxiety and self-doubt. And then the other side is avoidance and other doubt. And so that's kind of the anxious attachment versus the avoidant attachment. And then there's, of course, the secure attachment. And so the belief is that the anxiety and the uh, self-doubt attachment kind of comes from having inconsistent, maybe unavailable caregivers, having that sensitivity to rejection where there's low self-worth and feelings of inadequacy. And then that avoidance and other doubt, kind of you're more mistrusting of others could come from having, you know, kind of either that care, ne- that caregiver neglect or lack of protection, what have you, where then you feel like you kind of have to look out for yourself. You have to defend mm-hmm. yourself, you know, your, the people in relationships around you're not reliable. And so it, turns into that hyper independence. So those are kind of the, the basis of the spectrum. And then we can definitely talk about how that can look in relationships, um, whether romantic or platonic, but especially in these dating and romantic relationships.
1: Yeah, and it's actually really interesting because you and I both have different attachment styles. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm a little bit more anxious. That's how I grew up. Um, and you are a little bit more avoidant as you shared. So why don't we jump into maybe a little bit of you can share your experience from an avoidant perspective and growing up with that mindset and that way of feeling and being and what that looked like for you. And then I'll jump into mine. (laughs) That'll be really interesting. I
0: love this. This is perfect because you guys are going to get both sides of it. So we can give each other perspective here. And so with the avoidant attachment, some of the qualities are it kind of minimizes intimacy and closeness. There is a strong self-reliance and self-protection There can be fear of intimacy and closeness. Um, There's a general kind of mistrust in others. And there's maybe a higher view of self and lower view of others when it comes like what you can depend on, you know? So for me, I just went through a lot growing up where let's just say I kind of was left to fend for myself and I was left to have to kind of protect myself because, um, Those around me who maybe should have been more um, responsive or protective weren't at the time because they were going through their own things, like we were talking about. Um, And so that happened. Plus, I think definitely going into being a single mom and working, going to school, you know, there was a lot of dependence on myself for, you know, me and my son and building a life for us and a future and all of that. And so I think for me growing up, I learned that like, I'm going to have to look out for myself or, you know, other people aren't going to prioritize my needs as much as I'm going to prioritize my needs. Right. Um, and at, at the end of the day, so it was always really difficult for me to ask for help. I definitely had a bit of a savior syndrome. There was that hyper independence. And then when it came to relationships, unfortunately, it was really easy for me to cut things off the moment that I felt like they weren't safe or mm-hmm. they weren't trustworthy Um, or they couldn't be dependable. And Mm -hmm. so I remember when I was younger, there were situations where my mom would just be like, you're so cold, like, you know, or in the way that I was behaving. And there was a period in my life where I was pretty cold. You know, I think this also came from having a people pleasing background and being this very sweet and kind girl and being kind of trampled over and treated like a doormat and, and bullied and taken my kindness for granted. Mm. And I think that kind of also built a shell of like, you know what, like I have to um, it's not safe. Like relationships aren't safe and I have Mm. to protect myself. So there's kind of a variety of things there that for me um, sent the message that seeped into my core belief and attachment system of at the end of the day, you have to look out for you and you have to make sure these other relationships don't damage you or take you down,
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: which is interesting because mine wasn't related to like early childhood, yeah. um, but more so how things took place and experiences that I had as I got older and grew up that really kind of um, came into play more in young adulthood and in my teenage
1: years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so as an avoidant or as someone that, you know, was a little bit more hyper independent, how did that show up in your relationships? Like, did that show up in your romantic relationships too? Mm,
0: I think that I would have a hard time, uh, feeling or showing emotions or with intimacy, um, yeah, that that's definitely something I struggled with a little bit in just like protecting myself. Um, there was a lot of mistrust, right? But here's the thing, and I know we're gonna talk about this. You I also had been with partners that I could not trust that gave me wow. reasons um that I couldn't trust them. You know what's strange though, looking back, I stayed in some of those relationships. And I think it was because I I and in my mind, I had the control of, well. At least I know, like I can't trust them, so I'm going to keep them around, but I'm going to keep it at a distance, and I'm just gonna, you know, under the assumption that I know that it's only so long before I can't trust them, you know. And then the thing, and then it happens. I would go pretty cold and like cutting off relationships, but then the problem is I wouldn't process things well. And I know we talked about this in our Q and A episode last month. It all ties together where. I had, a tr- I had trouble accessing my feelings and I had trouble accessing my true emotions when I was actually really hurt and I was mm-hmm. actually really sad because I would automatically go to my defense of just like, don't think about it, cut it off, move on, move forward and very forward thinking. So I was yeah. very disconnected from myself and very disconnected from my body um, and my emotions in that way. And so I really had to break all that down go to therapy, revisit where my attachment styles come from and how they're still playing out in my relationships um, Mm -hmm. to kind of grow toward a more secure attachment. And so now things look very different for me than they did. Um, It almost feels like two completely different people, but yeah, I was totally there. What about, what about you? Cause I know anxious attachment is, is super common.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I, I, I'm the middle child. And I think that uh, adds a little bit to the feeling of, you know, I got attention, but sometimes the emotional, um, caregiving wasn't always consistent. Um, but I mean, again, like it was, I grew up in an incredible home and my parents were amazing. Um, but just, there are just some natural ways of being in a family of five where some, you know, you just get overlooked in certain areas here and there. And, um, and I think that happened for me. I, um, kind of developed a complex when I was, you know, by the time I was like nine or 10 or 11, that I was not enough in relationships. And that's where a little bit of that, like codependency started coming in because, I didn't ever feel like I had enough to give, I was enough, I was worthy, I, you know, um, and I think in some of my closest relationships, you know, whether at home or whatever, they, uh, there was, there was that inconsistency of like, I don't know if you are mad at me, if you love me, if we're, if we're good, you know, there was just, there was some confusion. And I think that builds up fear because there's not the predictability when there's a lot of predictability when there's like a a space where you can really feel confident that you are extremely loved that you are extremely worthy that people want to be around you people choose you all the time then you kind of develop a little bit more of this confidence and i just didn't develop that for one reason or another and so um yeah, going into relationships, especially. I, and I kind of think this is interesting because it's like you were saying, it's not just just childhood relationships. It's actually, you know, as you get older, it's experiences, you have it's traumas, it's wounding that adds to it as well, especially if it's subconscious and you're not aware or conscious of your attachment style, like you're just kind of always living it out. Um, my first boyfriend All of a sudden, out of nowhere, after like 11 months of being together, like one day, just completely out of nowhere for me, because I actually felt pretty secure with him. Um, But this is a recent realization that I had was that my first boyfriend, I was pretty secure. And then out of nowhere, he said we should take a 10 day break. And that's the worst. And I was like, what? Like all of his... um, interactions with me all of his words all of it like everything felt so safe for me and all of a sudden i was like oh like what that taught me at the time was that i must have been reading everything wrong mm-hmm. yeah like i must i must like be really like so i think that actually i, I kind of trace it back and realize that that also heightened my anxiety in relationships that experience because it was out of nowhere. Like there was no hint. We weren't like having major issues. There was nothing. So after that, um, I remember, you know, looking at the rest of my relationships, I've noticed a lot of patterns of that anxiety. And so in relationships, it's like, yeah, it's almost like guilty um, before being proven innocent. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, like you're already on the lookout when you get into a relationship, especially after those first few weeks, first couple months, you're like, when's the other shoe gonna drop? And so that's why I kind of traced it back to that first relationship, especially because, um, yeah, because it was just it, it was almost like a trauma or a wound inside of me. So um, with anxious attachment, I think, um, you know, and we'll we'll dive into each of these a little bit more, but definitely not feeling safe within a dysregulated nervous system. And so a lot of people who struggle with anxious attachment, um, you know, it's two extremes, like with avoidant attachment, um, they don't get super, they get dysregulated, but not in the same way because they are more detached from their emotions in general. Whereas with anxious attachment, we are too enmeshed with our emotions. And so when the system is dysregulated, we feel out of control. It's like, I don't know how to calm myself down in order to see this uh, for what it is and and move about it in the the situation in a way that's like conducive and, and healthy for everyone, and so yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely been a journey for me. So uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. What's what's
0: so difficult with anxious attachment is that in that relationship, a person is both desiring and fearing intimacy at the same time. So right. there really is like this push and pull feeling in the relationship that can kind of make you feel obsessive or like you're going crazy in a relationship where it's like, you really want that intimacy and you want that responsiveness from someone. And you're, you're seeking it out because you don't feel assured in the relationship, whether it's because of that person's actions or because of a low, you know, lower self-esteem or beliefs about self, Mm -hmm. you know? And so you're seeking it out, but at the same time, you're fearing that the closer that you get, the more of a chance you have to get hurt. And the thing is like the brain is an associative muscle. It's an associative brain. So it does, it stores these memories, like the ones with you and your First boyfriend. And it's it's like, hey, this happened last time. Like this can happen again. Say it won't again. (laughs) You know? So, like, why wouldn't it develop a framework? And I think that's the thing when we're thinking about relationships as we're talking about them. Many of us are not going into relationships as blank slates. And that's what can be so difficult and messy about relationships, is that we are kind of taking our past experiences with us. And if we haven't really processed and healed from some of those past experiences, these patterns will show up in every relationship that we go into. And so um, I know we'll talk more about moving toward a secure attachment. And and a lot of that begins with awareness of those patterns and triggers so that we can reframe them in more secure and healthier ways. Uh, But if you're listening to us and you're like, "Oh, girl, that is me to a Just know <laughs> that everyone is kind of on the spectrum of yeah. some of these attachments because absolutely. none of us grew up in absolutely one hundred percent perfect homes environments, experiences. And if you did like, God bless you, that's amazing. but um, but it doesn't make you crazy. Um, It doesn't make you, you're just being clingy. It doesn't mean that you're, you, no one can love you. You know what I mean? Um, There's just, we are just learning from our experiences and we're also just trying to like protect ourselves because we don't want to get hurt at the, like that's what I hear at the end of all of these kind of attachment styles. It's just like, there is a base want and need to also just protect ourselves from getting hurt. And these are the ways that we've created
1: defenses so that we don't get hurt again. Yeah, and that's. Um, I think that's why it's so important to do that um, introspective work when mm-hmm. we're thinking about being in long-term relationships. Um, they require so much vulnerability and they require us to actually know ourselves, to know the, those parts of ourselves that we've abandoned, that we don't feel are good enough because you can't truly have um, healthy, love without healthy vulnerability and vulnerability involves risk right and so as someone that is anxious um the pattern that i noticed over the years was that there was always this idealization happening in my mind i think a lot of people do that but anxious those who are more anxiously attached tend to idealize Um, someone before they have proven to them that they are safe and healthy for their nervous system. Mm. And what I mean by that is that you um, have this inner need for someone else, this inner fairy tale, this inner idea that someone is going to come and finally make you feel something and then make you feel like you are valuable, worthy, loved, celebrated, you know, seen all of those things. And that's why those who are anxious tend to enter relationships with terribly high expectations of their partners. And that is a a grieving process that those who are anxiously attached need to go through is the grieving process of of um, kind of lowering, greatly lowering that expectation that their partner is supposed to show up for them in all the ways they can't show up for themselves. And so, for example, when you are in a situation where you know the whoever you're with as your partner they haven't done what you wanted them to do on that special occasion they didn't say what you needed them to say after you told them some big news they you know didn't um they weren't able to like show up in a certain way um there's definitely a balance but at the end of the day what anxiously attached people need to know is that the regulation That needs to happen before they say anything and before they do anything is the thing that will save that has the most potential to save the relationship if the relationship is meant to be saved
0: it's so interesting hearing you say that because it's like with anxious attachment it's innocent until proven guilty and with avoided attachment it's guilty until proven innocent (laughs) and so I don't know I would also (laughs) say
1: anxious are pretty like Pretty like guilty before proven innocent, too. Really? I think they probably
0: like they believe their partner is guilty before proven innocent. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I think maybe it's an insecure attachment thing because avoidant and anxious are both insecure. Yeah. But it's like maybe on just opposite spectrums. Because, yes, I I think that there is, there's There's less
0: idealize there's less idealizing oh I see what you're saying you see what I'm saying yeah Yeah, there's less idealizing with the avoidant because you're kind of like it's only with both of them it's kind of like it's only so long before something goes wrong kind Uh, of feeling yes but I think it's like you're starting from a place of mistrust rather than starting from a place right. of like, I, I would agree
1: with that. Yeah. So that's really interesting. That. Yeah. But I don't think that's why they attract. I think that's why yeah, that um, part. anxious and avoidant attract in relationships because the avoidant does tend to be a little bit more like, hey, whatever happens, happens kind of a little bit more laid back, like, let's just see how this goes. Um, You know, like they need to take their time. And, And I've seen this in myself. I've totally seen this where I'm as the anxious person, they will go above and beyond to lock that in. If they've decided they like that person, even if they don't even know if the other person like meets their needs, like they're they're already in the talking stages, the texting stages, going overboard, flirting, you know, that's where the extreme version is love bombing, you know, like, that's where it's like, hey, let's see each other and and the avoidance style appreciates kind of like that. Um, when when they're being proactive, so they they do kind of like they tend to be surprised like, whoa, but but I think for those that are moving towards secure attachment, I think those start to become a little bit of red flags, actually. When things are too quick at the beginning, whereas before Mm -hmm. that used to be a sign that things are going somewhere fast and it's going to be great.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, as we're talking about these different attachment styles, one of the things that we talk about is that it can actually vary depending on the the relationship that you're in. So in some relationships, you can feel like you have more of a secure attachment, whereas in other relationships, you might feel like you have more of an anxious attachment. And in other relationships, you might have more of an avoidant, you know, attachment. And so I remember taking a quiz at one point and it was like they tested me on like my friendships, my romantic relationships and my parents. And I had different attachment styles for each relationship, uh which makes you think like, of course, there's part of this that might come from us and like our experiences and our framework and our core beliefs. But then there's this other part of it which is the person that we're with bringing right. this type of attachment style out of us. And that's something that, you know, we mentioned on the last, last podcast where it's like, okay, sure, you maybe you have an anxious attachment style, but also maybe the person you're with is actually doing things that are freaking destroying your trust and yes. making you anxious. And so to reflect on that, that it's not always, oh, something must be wrong with me, me, me. Of course, we can self-reflect and work on those things, but also be really honest about the relationship and like, are they doing things and having behaviors and mixed signals and mixed communication that is making you feel more insecure and thus sending you into anxious or avoidant attachment styles? Are they actually doing things that are triggering this in the relationship? Because that's also valid and that needs to be talked about. So there is
1: balance here. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know that it made me think of the fact that people who do have an insecure attachment style, so whatever insecure attachment style that is, you know anxious, avoidant, fearful, avoidant, you know, like all of those other other ones that there are, um, many times they don't know what that line is. They're like, am I being too much? Is this my attachment style or is it them? And that can actually be the the hardest part of figuring out like, am I overreacting or are they, you know, like, is it them and their inconsistency? And I would say to that, that it's really important to start developing a lot of self trust. Because you have to know yourself to know what the standard is not everyone is going to have that same line and that same level of what they are okay with. And sometimes as those who are insecure, who are moving towards more secure attachment, we tend to want to look at everyone else's level of tolerance like oh well they they probably wouldn't think it's too much so i'm probably the one overreacting why don't you just be really honest with yourself. What have you seen in your past relationships that have shown you what you expect in a relationship, you're actually the standard and you can trust yourself to be the standard. As you are kind of healing from some of these uh, wounding experiences in the past so yeah I I think that that can be difficult because as someone who's anxious I used to put it all on myself and say I must be the problem like why am I so like, dysregulated. And then I would realize, oh, it's because like, he hasn't answered my text in three days. Oh, he's done this like every week or every month, or oh, it takes him 20 minutes when we're talking face to face to come up with any words coming out of his mouth. So that like, you know, we can't even have a conversation, of course, I'm dysregulated. So a lot of it starting to build self trust, inner trust and inner gut intuition about what you need and mm-hmm. what you want in a relationship. And then taking that and asking, where can I adjust my expectations so that I'm not constantly having someone like they have to reach that every single time? But right. you're the one that makes that that level and that standard. And then from there, you can adjust. Does that make sense?
0: It does. It makes absolute sense. And, and definitely taking into context the whole situation. And I think for me, I think where maybe It becomes a red flag to look at ourselves Is if maybe it's like, no matter how healthy the person is that we're with, no matter how many times they reassure us, no matter if they're doing all of the things to try to earn our trust, we still cannot rely on that experience or we still cannot trust that person. even No matter what they do, that might be a sign that it might just be coming from us and like our ruminations. And so something that, I like to talk about is the dependency regulation model when it comes to relationships. And when thinking about the dependency model, there is this real phenomenon where we can project part of ourselves onto how we think our partner is perceiving us. So it might not be how our partner actually sees us, but how we view ourselves is how we think our partner must be viewing and thinking about us, even though they don't. And so, which, I mean, I've been there, you know, especially if you feel like, how could someone love me? Or it's only so long before someone cheats on me, or I'm not worthy of love, or there's so much wrong with me, or seeing yourself from a deficit. If you're seeing yourself from that way, from that way, then we might be thinking that our partner is seeing us in the same way that we're seeing ourselves. And so it can actually continue this negative cycle throughout our interactions and our relationship. And so that's where the dependency regulation model comes in. It's a psychological framework that tries to basically explain how we regulate ourselves, our emotions, and our behaviors within the context of a relationship and particularly romantic relationships. So, what often happens is, you know, the person is already coming in with a low self esteem or seeing yourself from a deficit or already feeling anxious. Um, and then that leads that leads them to underestimate the positive feelings that their partner has for them in a relationship. So there's a distorted perspective. Like they don't really trust or believe the positive things that their partner feels or says about them or the relationship. And that devaluing of your partner's words or intentions um, can leave you to feel hurt and rejected and then maybe you express your discomfort or your defenses, whether it's anxious or avoidant. And then that can lead both you and your partner to start feeling, you know, pessimistic and unsatisfied with the relationship with then, which then reinforces feeling insecure going right. into the relationship. So then there's this whole cycle that keeps happening because the way that we are perceiving ourselves is leaking into the way that we think our partner is seeing us. And so then it is basically neutralizing positive interactions that are happening within the relationship. And so that's why it can be so important to kind of recognize where these are coming from um, because we might have something really good, but it's really hard to see because it's being filtered through some of these insecure attachments.
1: Yeah, that is so good that back and forth that set cycle, that kind of crazy cycle that some of you may have found yourselves in. And I think it's also, it's such a balance and it's, it's so important to kind of figure out, um, you know, what that balance is because the research also shows that it is better if you are insecurely attached to find someone who is actually secure. It's better for two secure people to be together or for one secure person to be with an insecure person. It's actually, uh, you know, there there aren't the highest rates of fulfillment and happiness amongst people who both have insecure attachments, especially those who are not actively working on them. But I see this a lot in my clients and people that I talk to where, out of all the attachment styles, those are the attachment styles that are always trying to work on something. They're just constantly working on something. And we talked about this in the last episode where you need to have one positive interaction or one negative interaction to five positive interactions, right? So you need to have those five to every one negative interaction. And so what if you're both, you know, on the opposite ends of attachment styles, you're both insecure And so you're constantly trying to figure out how to meet each other in the middle. You know, a lot of times it's communication styles, it's conflict styles. The two insecure attachment styles have very different ways of relating to needs, emotional needs, um, expression of those emotional needs, consistency of it um, that can bleed into love languages, uh, physical touch and uh, gifts and quality time. I mean, it's just so much um, there, there's just so much to to fight about. <laughs> and so I think it's, yeah. it's really important to have that balance because there is a line where you recognize like, <sighs> what I'm trying to say is that sometimes when you have an insecure attachment, it's easy to think, well, I need to work on this attachment style anyway, let Mm -hmm. me try to stay with this person so that we can both grow together. You can try to do that. You are going to expend a lot of energy. It would actually be better for you to try to find someone who is more secure, especially if you're noticing that both of you do not have enough tools to really get secure together. A lot of times that needs to happen separately or within the context of another secure person, you can actually heal with another secure person it's much harder to do that when you're opposites and kind of always clashing.
0: I'm so glad that you said that because that is exactly where my train of thought was going was <laughs> sometimes we think, oh no, I have to be 100% healed and perfect before I can get into a relationship because like, I mean, if someone does have a secure attachment and they're so healthy and you have so much trauma and things that you're working through, you might feel like you're undeserving or unworthy of like a healthier, secure like attachment style from a person. And I love what you're saying because it's what we call a corrective emotional experience. And it's this idea that actually the relationship context has been damaging for you. And then you get into another relationship and it's healthy and you, and you experience a healthy expression of love and a healthy experience of communication and a more secure experience that can actually heal your past experience of what relationships are, what they look like, what they feel like, and they can help be a catalyst in the healing process for you toward a secure relationship. Now, of course, there's balance in that. That doesn't mean that we put all of the responsibility on the other person to heal us, but by being able to viscerally feel and experience and go through that new experience, your brain is basically storing this experience in a new way. And yeah. that's kind of the corrective emotional aspect of it. And so, um, there is something to to be said about the importance of actually, like you just said, of finding someone who maybe is in a more secure state or a health or in a healthy state. And, I want to be careful with my language. It's maybe not even necessarily that they're like healthier than you or better than you or anything like that. It's just that we all come from just different starting places. Like there are things and traumas that I went through that Jason did not go through. He might be the only one that I know that like doesn't have trauma. (laughs) I'm sure he has some somewhere, but like I was the one that had all this stuff you know, um, that I bring into the relationship that I've had to heal, um, and come to. And so it's just that we all have different experiences and we all have different starting points of like what we have to work through, or maybe someone's already done more of the work and we're catching up on doing some of the work and that's okay. Like that's what it is to be in a relationship. As long as we are all just having a heart and intention to try to have, you know, the most loving and healthy relationship that we can with one another. Um, as, as long as two people are willing to put in the work, then I really believe that anything can work. Um, so, so yeah, I yeah. think that's a great perspective, you know, as you don't have to be 100% healed to go into a relationship. Um, but if you know that these are some of your tendencies, then like you just said, Renella, it can be really destructive or go take things backwards for you if you are in another really volatilely insecure relationship that just kind of triggers you guys so much. And it's something that is really hard to, to get through, grow through, get past.
1: Yes. Yeah. And again, when we say things like being fully healed or quote unquote, right. you <laughs> really, again, what that means is that you feel safe and calm through the full range of your emotions. So kind of like leaning in towards how we start building that security is ask yourself, how grounded, how present, how calm am I when I'm experiencing unwanted emotions? And you know, for someone who is anxious, that unwanted emotion might be the feeling of rejection, the feeling of abandonment, the the feeling of like being unwanted or overlooked or um, not good enough. Those types of feelings for those who are anxiously attached are very strong. They can trigger so many different things and, and you can get really dysregulated. But if you can learn how to expand that capacity, Sometimes it means just expanding time. Like I'm you know sitting in an emotion right now, I'm starting to notice okay, I'm noticing something. A lot of times that starts with just noticing what's happening in your body. like okay, triggers that I'm having like they're triggering something in my body, tighter chest, you know, I'm sweating, I'm my heart is racing. I'm not breathing as much shallow breathing, like what, what, what's actually happening? A lot of times when that's happening, there's some anxiety. Where is that anxiety coming from? What are my racing thoughts thinking about? What am I so afraid of? And as you're processing through that, you're actually expanding time that you're sitting with that unwanted emotion. You're triggering your brain that, you know, like this is an okay emotion to sit with. Like, we're not gonna die, we're gonna be okay. And as you're breathing through it and sitting through it and asking yourself different questions, then, you know, like that's when you come back to your own standard of how you want to be treated in this specific scenario. Then you try to look at it from their perspective. Then you talk to a friend, you process it. All of this is expanding the time for you to sit in that emotion without immediately jumping to a conclusion, immediately saying something that you are going to regret later, immediately going straight to accusation because that is the part that brings in that one negative interaction into the relationship, which you better have five positive interactions for if the relationship is gonna keep be- being like healthy and happy. But before you know it, you're not sitting within that regulation. You're saying things, that's adding more negative interactions for, on their part, and that's triggering more and it's becoming a crazy cycle. And so when we talk about security, healing, all of that, it really boils down to how skilled, because it's a skill, you build. How skilled am I at sitting with unwanted emotions, processing through them before I respond and react?
0: So good. Yeah. When I think of a secure attachment, the word that comes to my mind is regulation, right? It's not that we're we're perfect or we are always gonna feel and respond perfectly. Like you still might have some triggering core beliefs that are gonna come up, you know? And Absolutely. it's just about it's everything you said it's really just about okay how are we able to regulate ourselves in the moment when that comes up and really just having an increased self-awareness of okay this is what's coming up for me and for me it's like this might be distorted or I when I was dating Jason and I and something would come up with me with me I remember saying to myself healthy Brittany is gonna respond old Brittany I is not gonna that. respond <laughs> like it was just my cue like you know what Old Brittany is not going to respond. Healthy Brittany is going to respond. And embodying like, okay, what does healthy, secure Brittany look like, feel like? How would she respond in this situation? You know, and that is how I'm going to respond. Um, So... It, it was just a prompting of of thinking. So I think there is a, the starting point of identifying what those patterns are for you, identifying what those triggers are for you. So you just know you're kind of being proactive and, yeah. you know, you can reflect on where those came from, but like increasing your self-awareness and then challenging some of those beliefs um, because they can come up fast. Right. And, and, they can become distorted where you're automatically seeing something through your fear. You're automatically seeing something through your mistrust and really being able to take a step back and challenge that. Just like you said, like, are there other perspectives to this that I'm not considering? And then for me, I know it was a big deal for our relationship to have very open communication. So, honesty like and I yeah. told Jason in the beginning of our relationship I would rather have honesty and and discomfort than not know what's going on and there be something underlying that you're feeling or sensing or knowing or whatever like I'm a big girl yeah I can work through it you know So for me, having that vow with my partner, like we are going to be honest, even if it's uncomfortable, because I would rather work things out in the open uh, because that helps me feel secure. I don't like things that are unsaid or I'm sensing something, but I don't know what it is. And the person's not being honest, even though there's something clearly off, (laughs) like I like, I don't like that. Like, and, and so communicating that, right. So it's communicating on our part, what we need from our partner to have that security in the relationship and and also having a reasonable expectation that they will also communicate back honestly to us because that is what's going to help develop the trust uh within the relationship and then also I think a big one is allowing for time and patience. Um, Because I think when you are anxious or you are avoidant in these insecure attachments, you want proof right then and there that the relationship is absolutely going to work out. That person is absolutely not going to leave you. Nothing absolutely is going to happen bad. There's no way you can really know. So giving yourself and the relationship patience to just see where it goes, to not hold it so tightly, but also not be so detached from it. I think there is a middle ground to just be like, you know what, either way, I will be okay. I've gotten through breakups in the past. I've, I've lived without this person before. I can live without them again if it does happen. I hope this goes somewhere, but I'm gonna hold this kind of loosely and allow time to tell where this relationship is, allow time to tell me more about who this person is. I think that's also probably why me and Jason had kind of at least three years before we even talked about being engaged. I think for me, I did need more security and trust to see how things would be. Um, Knowing I do have that avoidant attachment, style, I need time. I'm not (laughs) rushing into anything. I need to see the trust before I make a big decision like that. Um, So those, so those were um, some things for me and uh, were really helpful when it comes toward moving a, a secure attachment style. And Jason, I would say, was very securely attached when I met him, thankfully. So that was really, really helpful because he wasn't intimidated by my concerns or my own hangups or imperfections. And he was really well self-regulated. That helped me to be a little bit more self-regulated because he brought that kind of calm and security into conversations and because he felt confident about me in the relationship that helped me feel confident about me in the relationship and i think this is so important because the security of relationships really also allow you to go to turn and then go into the world with security when you know that your foundational relationship is secure it kind of gives you that confidence and that freedom to then um securely kind of not detach but individuate from the relationship and be your own person and have your own life and it's so healthy and that comes from that secure base. So really like your whole life kind of hinges on the having these secure relationships in your life are are a big deal. And I see that now being married, I'm like, oh who you get who you marry is the biggest decision of your life. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they're going to shape how you go into the world and the quality of your life. So that's so important.
1: Yeah, I I, I definitely agree. And I, I think that um, it is, you know, we come to a relationship and we get bonded and we get to that point where we feel that we're supposed to be with that person, that it has to work out, that our love was so real. And, you know, we get really bonded um, chemically. Uh, you know, in, in the words that we speak and the commitments that we make before that depth of time and consistency and that awareness of like, do our nervous systems work together? Right. Are are, are we working together? And I, I always like bringing that up in conversation about attachment styles, because it can be so easy to just want the relationship to work. And I know that there are some people out there that don't like always consuming my content because I always seem to be advocating for people to break up, (laughs) (laughs) but but what I'm advocating for truly, because I love love and I love it when, when things work out, but I care so much more for your long-term happiness. Yes, absolutely. And and you're going to end up wanting your long-term happiness too. And you, the relationship always speaks. It's always giving signals always from the very beginning, all throughout, it's us that, that shut our eyes, shut our ears. Um, but some of those signals are, you know, how much work is it taking for this to work out? How much, you know, like, are we having to have so many conversations for both of our nervous systems to be regulated? Because if you grew up with an insecure attachment, most likely when you are with someone that's good for you, um you will heal but there's always a little part of you that's gonna have some of that insecurity naturally and that's normal that's okay that's totally fine it's because we don't always lose every single part of us as we go throughout our years like there's always a little part of us there's always a little part of me that will be anxious i need to be with someone who is naturally more secure to help me balance that out i take complete responsibility for my inner world 100% responsibility for it, but I also recognize and accept that there will always be this little part of me that needs a little bit more reassurance than most, or or than others. And I think you have to accept that because what ends up happening is that people will completely negate the fact that they have been struggling with an anxious attachment for 30 years. (laughs) And they'll think that in the span of two to three months, they can completely switch how they view the world so that this relationship can work out sometimes Mm. it's the person you're with that does not have the capacity to be what you need them to be for you and Mm. so that's vice versa if you're strongly avoidant you probably shouldn't end up with someone who is strongly insecure no matter how strong your love is and how much you work on it because it's going to be an uphill battle like it's okay to find someone who is not completely secure But if you are extremely on one end or the other, it's, you know, imagine someone who is an extremely avoidant male. It's much better for them to be with a woman who is really secure and, you know, who will let them have their space without giving them any issues. Whereas if they're with an anxious person that needs them to text all the time or to not all the time, but like really be in contact, show their displays of affection and emotion. Oh, how exhausting. So I always just like to reiterate that because we just try so hard sometimes and I hate to be that person, but it's better to work together in a direction and Mm -hmm. to complement each other than to always be at odds. And I feel like I'm a broken record because I talk about that all the time. But (laughs) Sometimes
0: it needs to be said more than once. But I first of all, I want to commend us because we (laughs) have two different attachment styles and yet we, our relationship works. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Especially friendships In friendship, you know, and we, we've really, I just, I'm patting us on the back because (laughs) we just know how to work through things and just like meet each other and lean in, even though we have these opposite attachment styles. And I really honor that. Also hearing you say that, like, you feel like you're always going to need maybe a little bit more reassurance knowing that attachment style is there. I think knowing you, what the flip side of that is you're so good about giving so much reassurance to other people. And like, (laughs) maybe that I, now I'm thinking, I'm like, maybe that comes from your experience of that attachment style is that you really are invested in making sure to give that back to other people. And I think that's a really beautiful, um, strength and like flip side to that experience, you know, um, so yeah, just putting that. it out there. <laughs> but um yeah, and again, just secure attachment when I when I'm looking at the picture of secure attachment styles, typically it's someone who can have a more positive or balanced view of yourself and others. You're able to feel worthy of love. Um, there is interdependence and there is allowance for autonomy within the relationship. Um, you're able to become comfortable with intimacy and closeness, and you're able to approach conflict constructively. I would say that those are probably some signs that you are operating in or moving toward a more secure attachment style. And I love, Ranella, what you were saying about, um, about uh, regulating our nervous system and how it shows up because there are biological studies that have shown that our partner can help regulate our blood pressure, our heart rate, our breathing and the level of hormones in our blood. They have done biological dependency studies with MRIs scanning the brains of married women where they, you know, expose them to stressful conditions or stress stressful stimuli and when they were alone, their, you know, fear center of their brain just really lit up. Um, And then when the women were then exposed to the fearful stimuli who were holding their hands of their Partner, um, the stress was barely detectable in their brain. It kind of neutralized those stress levels and that stress response in their brain. And so it kind of shows that when people are able to form an intimate relationship and a secure relationship, it does really help their physiological and psychological well-being. And that is influenced biologically, where literally being with a secure person and in a healthy, secure relationship versus being in a dysregulated one is having an impact on your body. Like it's having an impact on your physical health. Yeah, I know that there were studies where they showed like if a spouse came home from a stressful day at work to like a stressful relationship situation versus coming home to a spouse where there's like a supportive environment, like their stress levels over time were different and biomarkers. So anyway, all that to say, you know, we've talked a lot about the like relational side and why it's important for your mental health and stuff. But y'all, we are literally talking about accumulated chronic stress and its effects on your body, making a difference on who you're with and your nervous system and the type of environment that you're constantly, your body is constantly exposed to. So just the importance of being thoughtful with who we partner with like Renella said for the long term for our overall well-being and that's why we're having these conversations
1: yeah and i like that you brought up just the health benefits because again that is why i'm such a huge proponent of really choosing yourself first knowing yourself setting your own standard and then um from that baseline going and um experiencing and seeing who kind of fits your level of your nervous system and where you want to live your life I mean think about your self-care think about your relationships when you are with that person um, I mean for me I have the best clearest skin when I'm single like oh. what does that <laughs> what does that say about like you know what has been happening inside of me you know not just like oh it's because of them but but you know the the combination of us being together, so for me, one of my signals is like, I want to be with someone that helps me keep my skin clear. Like, That's a
0: good marker. <laughs>
1: I, I have, I'm, I'm vibrant. I'm radiant. I'm happy. I, you know, just like really there's a secure baseline with myself. And so mm-hmm. ask yourself how you're doing. And I, I just, I just see too many women who are really unhappy. They're actually oh. unhappy, but they want the relationship more than they want their own happiness. And so Mm. so a lot of times at the core of this is that uh, insecure attachment style, the, um, the inability to accept that someone a little bit more secure might be just so great for your nervous system and long-term your happiness, like all of the things that you shared. And so, um, yeah, I think, Man, there's there's nothing better also than than working on that secure attachment for yourself, because inevitably, if you continue in your insecure attachment, you will most likely attract someone who is your opposite insecure attachment. Um, And the more you work on being secure, the more you raise your self worth raise your self understanding, and raise your kind of telltale signs if someone is good for you, if they're secure. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's, you know, an experience that you and I've had to go through, as you were talking about, I love that you brought out the point that there are positives to having certain styles. uh, Because it's not all negative. It's not like, oh, secure people are like perfect people. Absolutely not. No one is perfect. But But what they do have is that ability to kind of sit in that self-regulation. A lot of times, if you have someone who is more of an avoider, who is moving towards a secure attachment, they also tend to be a little bit more detached from like holding something against you or like making a big deal out of something, you know, they're like a little bit easier to forgive, especially if it's not like this underlying ongoing thing. And for anxious people, they do tend to be very, you know, affirmative and like, you know, they, they they kind of go above and beyond to make sure that people feel OK and that their relationships are good and they're, they're like highly empathetic. And so there are beautiful things that you can bring into a relationship no matter what your attachment style is. But um, moving towards that security is so important. Yeah. Now, when I when I uh, test for attachment styles, I test as a secure person and I always know that, that that there's always going to be a part of me that feels a little anxious, but it's always good to see kind of that growth and that it is possible to, to yeah and heal towards a secure attachment.
0: Same. I mean, I think what, like, just like you said, the reason why we have some of these attachments, whether they're good or not for the long-term relationship is that it serves us in some way. And the biggest way that it serves us is that they protect us, right? So just keeping in mind that, something is not wrong with you. you, your body, your brain did what it was wired to do. And that was to protect you. And you probably went through a harmful situation or upbringing or what have you where your brain learned to protect itself. And that just carried over because our body's main wiring is survival. And so it's understandable that these, that we hold on to these or we act in these ways because they do serve us, even if we, you know, know better, so to speak. Um, um What's so difficult about healing attachment styles and all of this is that you actually have to lean into the same thing that you fear. And that is the vulnerability piece that you were talking about earlier, right? Like you actually heal by going through it. So I know for me, when I was single, I completely tried to like stay out of serious relationships. Now I realize that some of it was my avoidant. Uh, dismissive attachment style. It was just like, I don't want to go through anything. Like it, there was a fear and an insecurity about getting into relationships. And that's actually what kept me single. Mm. And um, even though deep down, I did want to be in a relationship and I knew I wanted to be married one day. And I knew that was something I desired. I suppressed a lot of those desires out of protection and called it me you know, just needing to be single, which I did. But also there was some of my avoidant dismissive attachment style in that. Mm-hmm. And so that's, I think what's interesting is like, there is a lot of work we can do on our own, but the reality is with attachment styles, that's work that's done within the relationship, within the same context. And it doesn't have to be a romantic relationship. It can be friendships. It can be relationships yeah. with family members. But all that to say that this is something that has to be lived out in practice in relationships. It's not something we heal on in isolation or by ourselves. Yeah. We can read all the books and listen to all the podcasts about attachment styles, but it's it's in the context and engagement of relationships where we actually practice, grow, and heal through these yes. things. And that can kind of be the fear is the same thing that we need to heal is the same thing that we actually need to go through and experience to to get there um so just being aware of that
1: yeah that's a great point I remember being at a point when I was just starting to learn about attachment styles and just starting to see patterns and the thought of me having to self-regulate without saying anything to them or sit in the discomfort of not knowing how they actually feel was terrifying because I felt more in control when I knew what they were thinking, or when I felt like the situation was going to be okay. But over the years, having had to sit through that discomfort, having conversations, and also just recognizing that there is so much security and stability, and just knowing what you know. Like, you don't always have to talk to someone about something. Sometimes you just have to observe. (laughs) And that's scary, you know, like, especially for an anxious attachment, we're like, But if we talk about it, then we can work it out and then everything will be okay. But a lot of times it's like, well, no, sometimes you just have to watch and see. Sometimes there are things you can talk about. And there are sometimes moments where you just have to trust that if it's meant to work out, they will kind of come around and say something and do something about it.
0: I had to experience that on the opposite side with avoidant attachment. Similarly, like I had to do the whole trust begets trust thing. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, I need to give some level of trust. I need to give some level of vulnerability because if I continue going in, not trusting people or just cutting off without like even trying to figure out what's going on a remedy or what have you. If a person doesn't feel trustworthy going into it, or they already feel like, you don't trust them or can't depend on them. Like it's already setting things up in a bad direction. So I'm with you on the other end. It's like you have to give the trust and you have to give the vulnerability. And like you said earlier, it's going to be a risk, period. Like there's no way around the risk with this thing. That is what's so scary about it. There's no way around the risk when you're putting your heart out there in relationships and you just have to find out with time, but it is worth it. I think that's what I want to close with. Yeah. It is so worth it. I think for so many of my single years, I questioned if it was worth it because the destruction and the hurt that I experienced before did not feel like it was. But then when you do find the right person or you are securely attached to the right people, or you do find the right fits, whether it's relationships romantically or platonically or what have you, it's so worth it to be in those relationships and the healing experience that you go through. And I know you might, some people might be feeling at their wits end when it comes to giving relationships a try. And I just want to say like, you know, use discernment, use wisdom, trust yourself through the process. Um, and trust that you are able to adapt through the process as you need to. And as you are leaning into finding the right people for you and know that it is worth it when you do find them.
1: Yeah, that's beautiful. Like I always say, love is one big fat risk. (laughs) (laughs) Period. Period. It's just one big fat risk, but it's absolutely worth it. It's worth it to understand yourself, know yourself, heal those parts of you and, and to be able to grow through it. So, um, that was helpful. Um, I think, um, there's some resources, some books that we've both read that are really good too. Um, one of them is, um, how we love by Milan and Kay Yurkovich and, um, you and I have both read attached,
0: attached by Amir Levine and Rachel Heller, and we'll put those in the show notes
1: yeah absolutely and while we're on that i also have a new membership called luma and that's where we're talking all about our relationship with ourselves and our relationship with others so it is just for women but if you're interested in that you can go to the show notes you can go to my instagram and i'll share more with you because we talk about attachment styles breakups closure being able to kind of regulate and be the Mm -hmm. best of ourselves for us first amen and for the people we come in contact with so Um, At some point, we're going to have Brittany in there teaching for us too, teaching a course, but um, would love for you to join. Uh, Any other resources? Yes. We also have a newsletter,
0: and we both keep forgetting to bring this up. (laughs) It's in the show notes of every episode, but we do have a newsletter for the podcast that will keep you up to date on both what we're doing together with the podcast and also individually, where you can get the link to things like Renella's membership or freebies like my people pleasing journal, what have you. So, Mm -hmm. stay, um, so definitely if you want to stay in the loop with that, straight to your inbox, head over to the show notes. To join our e-newsletter and i know we get so excited talking about all the things on the podcast we forget to share all these (laughs) other resources that we have and have created for you guys so we highly want to encourage checking those out to kind of take the work further
1: thank you guys for joining us today for this conversation and until next time
0: Hey, if you enjoyed today's episode, let's continue the conversation and stay connected on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube, all linked in the show notes below. Let us know your thoughts or leave a review on the podcast. Your feedback really does mean so much to us. Until next time.